Well, we've had church here this morning. I don't know about you. That was good. Thank you, choir. Thank you for the band and everybody who led us this morning. It was good good to be together, and I'm glad to be here uh, with you today. Um, I love the church, and I love everything about the church. Um, uh, there are some things about the church that can sometimes be awkward. Uh, it's sort of like when you, you, your family, you know, and you bring friends, you used to bring teenagers home, your teenager brought friends home, and like you, all of a sudden you realize that your family's a little weird, like you know, you just kind of hope your dad doesn't do that thing or your mom doesn't say that. So you live with a little nervousness. I, I, I feel that way about the church. I love the church, but there are some awkward things about it. One of the things that happened, I guess this started maybe in the, in the early 90s. Uh, churches, started getting, uh, churches started getting these marquees that they could put messages on. And some of the churches used them for like information. You know, we're having church this Sunday. Some of them would put verses on there. And then some of them would try to give these sort of uh, pithy little statements that people would have that, that kind of uh, would try to get their attention or communicate some, some biblical truth. And so I, I, I love driving, especially if you ever go anywhere in the country and you're driving by little churches with those signs. It's, it's kind of fun to see what some of those church signs say. Well, when we first moved to Marietta, Georgia, I was just out of seminary, and Sherry and I moved there, and our son Caleb was just a little guy. And uh, we get to the church, and they had one of those, one of those signs that they had to change the, the, the letters on. We had a, a church secretary, and it was her job to go change the letters on that sign, and uh, she hated that job. She absolutely hated it. And, and I think that she was a little disappointed that when I came on staff that it didn't become my job, that it still it st- it remained her job. I think she had the idea that, you know, I was 24, 25 years old. Surely this kid's going to have to be the one to change the marquee, but she kept having to do it. They kept giving her the messages to put out there. And, and she, had a, she was a really smart lady. And, and so she was so smart, she's like a lot of you men. If she didn't want to do a job, she'd just figure out how to mess it up so she'd never have to do it again. Like I know some of you have done that with laundry. And I'm, I'm not outing you, but I know that's what you're, you did. You know how to do laundry. You just don't want your wife to know you know how to do laundry. Well, she would do that sometimes to keep from doing a job. So one morning, um, we, were, we were preparing for a conference that we were having. We were hosting it for our entire association of, of churches in that area, and uh, it was for all the people who do greeting and ushering in church, and they were going to do this training for all of them. So it was this association-wide training for ushers and greeters, and they were going to come and have it at our church. I used to get to the church really, really early in the morning, and, and my, the way I would come into my office at the time would, it would take me just up the steps, and I could see the church sign there. And one morning as I'm coming in, I'm going up. It's still kind of dark outside. I'm going up, getting my keys out, and I get up inside the door, and all of a sudden it hits me like, what did that say? Like, you ever had that, like you, you saw it, but it didn't register for a few minutes. So I go back outside, and this, the sign was supposed to say, Association-Wide Usher Greeter Training. That was what it was supposed to say, because the people coming needed to know, hey, this is the right place. Association-Wide Usher and Greeter Training. And uh, the secretary had decided that was too many letters, and so she abbreviated association with the first three letters. True story. This is absolutely true. So I, so I, I'm thinking to myself, okay, it was not like that when I left work yesterday. How many hours has that been up and how many people have seen that? So I quickly go and 
you know, sort, find the letters and get, and I'm out there because before the sun comes, I can't wait for her to come into the office and change it because I'm just horrified about people seeing this sign and changing it. But, but it was embarrassing, obviously, and, uh, and they found somebody else to change the sign, and it wasn't me either. So that, that's how the story came to end. But sometimes you're driving around, you'll see them, and they're funny, and they kind of, you know, it's kind of one of those things you, you might be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they said that. But sometimes these signs project an image of the message of the gospel that is completely contrary to the true message of the gospel. And so I want to just show you a sign that, that I think when you pass by it or you see it, you may think it's funny, but it's, uh, it, maybe it's not. Do we have that sign? Okay. So, so, yeah, so how will you spend eternity, smoking or non-smoking, right? I mean, it's funny. Now, but, but before, you, before, you, before you get too far, look at the name of the church, Ray of Hope United Methodist Church. Here's your ray of hope. Turn or burn, right? (laughs) This is the message. How will you spend eternity, smoking or not smoking? Now, You've only got so much space on a sign, I understand. And, and, and I, listen, I don't know this church. I don't know the people at that church. I imagine they love the Lord. I'm, I, but, but sometimes, and I'm just talking to you if you're in the room and you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you can just listen in for a second. Sometimes we communicate messages, and we may even think they're funny and cute, but I sometimes wonder how people who aren't believers hear that message. And what does it do to the way they think about Christians, but not just Christians, not just how they think about us or they think about our church. That's bad enough. But more importantly, what message are we communicating about the gospel itself? Now, the word gospel literally means, if we translate it, literally means good news. Good news. How will you spend eternity smoking or non-smoking doesn't sound like good news to me. It sounds like a threat It sounds like an ultimatum, and yet too often when we talk about the gospel and and sharing the gospel, this is what it sounds like. It sounds threatening. It sounds like something that people are being, being given this ultimatum rather than the true heart of the message, which is this is good news that I'm anxious and excited to share with you and that you ought to be excited to hear. Now, here's what happens, and this is where it goes wrong. So we go from this to the next picture where you see what society does. This is a church that claims to be about the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and if I said the name of the church, you'd recognize it. And they go around, they've made a name for themselves going around protesting all kinds of things, including the funerals of soldiers as they come back. And this is the message they're trying to send. And I read this and I look at these kind of messages and, and, and I'm like the sign, which I can kind of understand. I don't think it's a good idea, but I, I kind of get it. I can't I can't justify this. This is not, I don't know what they believe or, or what message they're preaching, but that is not the gospel that I know. And what it does, unfortunately, is it sends a message to the whole society that this represents all of us, but that doesn't represent me And I know for most of you, it doesn't represent you. So then what happens? So then the next step is our culture begins to do this. And we've got another slide up here where we become a caricature in culture of what it means to share the gospel. That that what it means to share this good news that for many of us in this room, we would say it's changed my life. It's transformed my thinking. It has has taken me from, from bondage to freedom. And we've made it a caricature. 
in a cartoon, and society looks at that. So what does it do inside of us? Well, I can tell you what it does inside of me, and my guess is it does it inside of you as well. It just makes me be quiet. I, I, just, I just am quiet. And I hold my beliefs personally, and I hold them sincerely, but I'm really hesitant to share them with you because I don't want to look like those people. And I don't want you to think of me like those people. But, but here's the truth about the gospel message that we change. The gospel itself changed the world until the world changed the gospel. Because what we see communicated in some cases, whether it's on a thoughtless church sign or a hateful placard, is not the true message of the gospel. Because I believe the gospel itself is attractive in fact, it's so attractive and it's so incredibly life-changing that there were people who were willing to give their lives rather than to be silenced. Heroes of the faith who would not stop talking, not in a hateful way, not in a judgmental way, but in a loving way about the true message of the gospel. Do you know the very first depiction of Jesus Christ on the cross archaeologists have discovered is from around the year 200 in the city of Rome and it is found in uh, what they believe was the dormitories of uh, some page boys who served the emperor and his family and as a matter of fact we have this picture of this this is uh, it's hard kind of hard to see this is this is uh, engraved into the walls of this, uh, of this dormitory. And, and, and this picture itself is actually the oldest known depiction of Jesus on a cross. Now, Christianity was outlawed. Christianities were, Christians were being persecuted. They were being tortured for their faith. And, and inside this dormitory, we see this picture. In fact, I think we've got a, a artist rendering of it that lets you see it a little better. And what you see is there's a, a, a boy standing there, and there is on the cross uh, Jesus, but he's got a donkey's head. And the caption of this, of this, of this uh, graffiti says, Alexamenos worshiping his God. It's, it's, it's meant to be a hateful caricature of a young man, we don't know how old he was, by the name of Alexamenos, who was a Christian. And so the other page boys, the other people in the dormitory, the other folks who worked there obviously knew that he was a Christian. And so somebody, whether it was to just uh, be hateful or whether it was to embarrass him or, or just to make fun of him, they engraved this into the wall, Alexamenos worshiping his God, and there is the earliest known artistic depiction of the crucifixion that we have from the year 200 A.D., so it's been going on. People have been persecuting people for what they believe, honestly held, honestly held beliefs as well. There's another story that comes from uh, the, the 16th century by a, name, a, a woman by the name of, of Macon Wins. She lived in Antwerp, Belgium. And actually, just yesterday, October 6th, was the 445th anniversary of her death. She was burned at the stake at, on October 6th, 1576. Uh, because she continued to tell people in Antwerp, Belgium, the message that God loves them and he sent Jesus to be their savior. And people kept coming to her house to hear this message. And even though the authorities told her to stop, she wouldn't stop. So finally they arrested her. And as they're carrying her out of her house to the prison, she's telling everybody on the street about Jesus, how Jesus loves you. 
Jesus loves you. He died so that you could have peace with God. And he, she's going, and she's in prison. And the whole time she's in prison, she's sharing her faith with all the prison guards. She's sharing her faith with all the other, all the other prisoners. So finally they decided, what are we going to do? She, she's, she was found guilty. They're going to execute her. But we don't want to parade her through the streets. Everybody in town is going to come out and stand on the streets. And it's, she's just going to have an opportunity to, to preach this message all the way down the street. So they had a device called a tongue screw. It looks like this. And they screwed her mouth so that she couldn't speak as they carried her from the prison to the pylon where they burned her to death. Her son went back and dug out the tongue screw from the ashes and kept it as a reminder of how much his mother believed this message and was even willing to give her life so that it would be shared with others. I I don't know what you do with stories like that. And here's the problem. There is a tension that I feel. You probably feel it too. That I have this tension that I don't want to say anything for fear of being perceived as hateful or narrow-minded. Or the reality that if if we... But the reality is this. If if I truly believe the message of the gospel itself, if I truly, truly believe that message, how can we ignore it and how can we be silent? Why wouldn't I, like Alexamenos, in the dormitories of the page boys in the Roman Empire, the very emperor who is burning Christians alive, why wouldn't I share it if I truly believed it? Why wouldn't I be more, more like making wins with an urgency to share the message even if it costs me my own life? Now, now here's what I know. For those of you who are in the room today, if you're a non-Christian, this topic may be one of the very reasons you say you're not a Christian. Because you think, well, Christians are always trying to push their beliefs onto everybody else. And you may even look at some of those early pictures, and that for you may be the caricature that you've bought into. But doesn't it make you wonder why people would risk and even give their lives for this message if they didn't sincerely believe it? If they were just trying to push forward some political agenda, or if they were just trying to control or manipulate people, would they really be, really be willing to give their lives for it? If Christians really believe in an eternal soul, and that the eternal destiny of every soul depended on this message that we have, this good news being shared, how could they call themselves loving if they knowingly withheld the information from other people? The two don't, the two don't correspond. It would be like if somebody had a cure for cancer, but they were not willing to share it with anybody else. If this is the truth of what we believe and how we hold on to these beliefs. Yet throughout the years, some Christians have weaponized the gospel. I mean, we see examples of it all the time. And the media is all too willing to highlight those examples of people who weaponize the gospel. And they, they use it uh, to, to intimidate people. They use it to, uh, to, to be biased against people, to be hateful towards people. The very message that was intended to bring hope and peace instead induces hate and alarm in a lot of people. But here's the tension. Our sincere belief We have this sincerely held belief that this is not just good news, but the best news, that it's made a difference in our life and that it can make a difference in other people's lives too. We sincerely believe that, but we have a fear of sharing because we don't want to be perceived as becoming judgmental or condemning. Now, here's what you need to know. That is not a new problem. It goes all the way back to Jesus' very first disciples. 
And before we get to the passage that Gary read for us earlier, I want to look at this, this tension that existed even among Jesus' earliest followers. So I want us to look at Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 45. James and John were with Jesus, and uh, they, had basically been, um, they had basically been following Jesus around, and Jesus was wanting to pass through a Samaritan village on his way to Jerusalem. The Samaritan village rejected Jesus, rejected his message, rejected his followers. And James and John had a solution. Here's what they said, Luke 9, 54. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I mean, that looked like some of the posters we looked at earlier, didn't it? You know, turn or burn, smoking or non-smoking. I mean, this is the, this is the approach. Lord, do you just want us to call down fire, some good old-fashioned judgment on them, hostility, this angry approach. And listen to Jesus' response in verse 55. But Jesus turned and, what's that next word? Rebuked them. He turned and he rebuked them, and they went on to another village. So Jesus not only rejected, he didn't just reject that. No, guys, that's not a good idea this time. He rebuked them and said, guys, you are totally missing it. If that is your approach, you have a long way to go before you understand the message I'm trying to communicate. Totally rejected it. But then on the other side, so that's one extreme, but on the other extreme, we have the example of Peter, a famous, famous example. Peter, the boldest, brashest of all of Jesus' disciples, of all of his followers, and they're in the upper room with Jesus shortly before the crucifixion. And Jesus, with tears in his eyes, is saying, you're all going to reject me. You're all going to deny me. And, and Peter says this in Matthew 26, verse 33. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I am with you to the end. Verse 34, Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. I will be American winds. I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. We're with you, Jesus. We would never deny you. But we all know what happens, don't we? Jesus is arrested. He's carried away. John and Peter make their way to the courtyard of the high priest. And in the courtyard of the high priest, Peter's approached by one person, he denies Jesus, approached by a second person, denies Jesus. But Peter said the third time, Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. In another gospel, it says he cursed. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now, I don't know about you, but I find myself living between the tension of James and John, who want to call down fire and brimstone from heaven to prove a point, and Peter, who basically denies Jesus because he's embarrassed and he's not sure what to say and he doesn't want to cause any more trouble. And I live somewhere between those two tensions all the time with this good news. I, somewhere live, I somehow live somewhere between those two realities. Well, one of the interesting things about our Bible is that not only do we have these stories about these disciples and what happened, but we also have letters that they wrote. So Peter, the very person who said he would never deny Jesus, but ultimately denied him three times, Peter would go on to write some letters back to young Christians. And in one of his letters that Gary read for us earlier, 
Peter says something really important that I want us to look at. He basically tells us how to share the gospel without being creepy. Don't you want to know that? I mean, if you're here and you're a believer, you should want to know this. Because we don't want to be creepy, but we also don't want to deny a message that we claim changed our lives and has the power to change other people's lives. So let's look at some suggestions that Peter gives to early Christians about how to share the gospel without being creepy. The first thing he says is this, do not let fear keep you from doing the right thing. Do not let fear keep you from doing what's right. Now the biblical word for doing the right thing is, sounds like a very theological churchy word. It's called righteousness. That's what it means. Righteousness just simply means you do the right thing. You do the right thing. So don't let fear keep you from being righteous. Look what he says, 1 Peter 3, 13 and 14. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, in other words, if you should suffer for doing the right thing, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. I don't know how much Mary Ken Wins knew her scripture, but I just wonder if this verse was one of the verses that she held on to. I'm doing the right thing no matter what they do. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. He didn't say, blessed are you if you just go around being persecuted and call yourself a Christian. Mm -mm. No, blessed are you if you are doing the right thing and you're persecuted because of it. But here's what I know about me is that I will often stop doing the right thing when it starts costing me something. I I will pull back from what is right, even when I know it's right, if I fear that somehow I'm going to be at risk. So the first thing Peter says to the early Christians, he says, hey, don't let fear keep you from doing what is right. If you are in a position where you have an opportunity to share your faith, and you are waiting for the day when your heart isn't pounding and you have no fear, you will never share your faith. Never. But my guess is, you won't be arrested and drug into prison and they won't put a tongue screw in your mouth. That's my guess. Now listen to me, and I'm serious about this, because there are parts of our world where that still happens and those people, to their credit, still share the message. I believe God has given Christians in the United States greater freedom than Christians in the world have ever known. The question is, why has he given it to us? Why? And are we taking advantage of the freedoms that he's given us? Don't be afraid to do what is right. The second thing he says is be prepared. Look what he says in verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, the Lord as holy. Always being, here's our word, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Now there's an implication in this verse that I want to draw out because I think it speaks to a myth that for a lot of us we buy into. The implication is that your actions and your words will be necessary. That somehow you will act in a certain way, your behavior will demonstrate in a certain way, a certain belief. And that through that behavior, you will have then the right to speak the message of the gospel. There's a famous quote that I have heard recited many times from many pulpits attributed to Francis of Assisi. And here's what he says. Preach the gospel everywhere you go, and if necessary, use words. How many of you have heard that quote? Some of you have heard that, yeah. Preach the gospel everywhere you go, and if necessary, use words. There are two problems with that quote. The first one is Francis of Assisi never said it. 
And the second thing is it's absolutely not true. It is not true. The gospel can never be communicated without words. Because the gospel is rooted in history. And the story must be told if people are going to know it. Now, I I don't claim to be righteous all the time. I don't claim to be good all the time. But I try really hard like I know some of you do. And even when I'm trying my hardest and when I'm at my best, I have yet to have anybody come and fall before me and say, Oh, I recognize the ways of my sin and I want to know about Jesus. Never. It's never happened. And, and you think, well, people, people's good behavior ought to be enough to tell people about the gospel. Look how they're good. They're peaceful in circumstances. You know, they, they never get riled. And so, oh, they're demonstrating the gospel. They could just be on drugs. I mean, good. Be- don't get me wrong, good behavior is important because the other side of it is even uglier where somebody's speaking the words of the gospel but living in a way that's completely contrary to it. We don't want to do that either. But I don't think that's the mistake most of us make. I think the mistake most of us make is we want to live this way and somehow thinking that our actions alone will be enough to communicate the message of the gospel. I'm just telling you, it just won't work. You have to, you have to, you have to be prepared to share the message of the gospel as well. Be prepared by knowing the basic message of the gospel. This is what it means. This is why we gather here every week and we talk about this. It's not just so that I can have another opportunity to stand up here and speak for 30 minutes. It's so that ultimately we all get a deeper understanding of the gospel so that we can communicate it more effectively in our day-to-day living. The message of the gospel is so simple, a child can explain it. But it is so immense that people have dedicated their entire lives to try to understand it. So here's what we have to do. We have to somehow come up with a way of taking our actions and letting them be the thing that that, that draws people to us and that they know our words are true and trustworthy and then be prepared with words to communicate that message in a direct way that people will hear. So this series that we're in, we're calling it 30 Words, and it is called 30 Words because I'm going to share with you um, a, a, a paragraph that has 30 words, and I had other people count it just to make sure it really did have 30 words. If you missed last week, you might not understand that. You can listen to the podcast. But this message of the gospel, here's what's so important for it, because you may be hearing you say, well, I'm not even a believer, and he's talking to all this churchy stuff to people about sharing a faith that I don't even believe. But, but here's what you need to know. This message is for all of us. This message is for those of you who do not know the gospel. Maybe you have bought into a caricature of the gospel. I hope you'll stay for the entire length of this message so that you can hear what I believe is the true message of the gospel, the good news. So it's for people who are far away from God, but it's also for those of us who are close to God. Because here's what happens to many of us. We think, oh, the gospel, this is so basic, I've got this. I've been in church my whole life. But if you are truly pursuing a walk with Jesus day in and day out, you should never get over the gospel. You can never explore the depths of it. And so ultimately, we want to know it, and we want to know how to live it, how it can change our life. It's not just about changing people who are far from God. It's about how it continually transforms and changes our lives as well. So I've got a couple goals during this, uh, these next six weeks. First of all, that we'll know and understand the basic message of the gospel. That we'll know it and we'll understand it. Not just a snapshot of it, but I think a full 
a full understanding of the gospel, that we will identify ways that we can, as followers of Jesus, live the gospel out more fully in our own lives, and that we will know how to respectfully and thoughtfully explain the gospel to other people when we have the opportunity. Now, some of you come from faith traditions where uh, you grew up with creeds, like statements of faith, and you would recite these creeds. Um, There are many of them throughout church history. A creed is basically a memorized statement of faith that helps people know what they believe. And so what we're going to provide for you is the basic gospel in the form of a creed, a statement, a 30-word statement. This is not by me. It's by a, a pastor from Canada named Bruxy Cavi. And so, so what I want to do is I want to, um, I want to, do we have that up there? There it is. There it is. So this is, this is, the, uh, this is the statement in 30 words, okay? Jesus is God with us. Come to show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom, and shut down religion so we can share in God's life. Jesus is God with us. That's the foundation. That's the ground of the gospel. And then there are four things, the gifts of the gospel. Show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom, and shut down religion, for ultimately for the goal of the gospel, so we can share in God's life. Now, we're going to spend the next six weeks taking that apart and looking at it. There is a book that actually this pastor has written that if you want to read it and get a better understanding, uh, you can read that and that will help you. We're also having small groups. Some of our small groups are engaged in a conversation uh, about this for the next several weeks and you can join us or join our small groups. You, if, you don't, if you're not a part of a small group, stop by the landing on your way out, right out these doors. Uh, the landing is there. We'll help you get connected to a small group. Also on Wednesday nights in our midweek worship service, um, I'll be answering questions that you generate through the week. So even now, if you've got some questions or thoughts, comments, uh, we welcome those comments and questions. You can use your communication card uh, to turn those in. You can go to the SSBC Jacks app and hit connect, and there's a place for you to ask questions on there as well, uh, so that for the next seven weeks, uh, we can just immerse ourselves in this idea. So we, we have to be prepared, and the goal of the next six weeks is that we would all be prepared to share the answer for the reason for this hope that we have. So he says, don't be afraid to do the right thing. Be prepared. And the third thing, Peter says, is be gentle and respectful. Be gentle and respectful. Verse 15 uh, and 16. Yet do, do it. What is he saying do? Share the reason for the hope that you have. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, so that if you are slandered, Is that right? No. No, 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 no. So that when you are slandered, he is not giving you any false expectations that somehow if you do it right, nobody will ever slander you or talk bad about you or make fun of you. Just ask Alex Zamenos or American Winds. But when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Now, what this basically means is It doesn't mean that you should be apologetic for what you believe or even apologetic for sharing your faith, but it does mean that you should be able to do it and have a clear conscience, that you shouldn't feel guilty about sharing your faith. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Why would I be ashamed of it? If it is the power of God for the salvation of everybody who believes in it, why would I ever be ashamed of that message? But neither are we allowed to be disrespectful or hateful. 
You see, Paul is telling you to walk the line here. You shouldn't be ashamed of it, but you should also expect people to, to mock you, ridicule you, but you can't be disrespectful or hateful when you do it. Colossians 4, 5 and 6 says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Full of grace and seasoned with salt. It's how you talk to somebody who's not a believer. You give them a whole lot of grace and you sprinkle a little bit of salt, a little bit of truth. You are the salt of the world. But you don't have to pour the whole salt shaker on them when you first meet them. Conversation full of grace, seasoned with salt. This is one of the reasons why at Southside we spend so much time in our new members orientation class or discovering Southside class, which, by the way, if you are a guest or you are somebody who is uh, new to Southside and you want to check out what we believe, we invite you to come November 4th. We'll have our next one. But in that meeting, one of the things that we spend time doing is we spend time, we spend time discerning the difference between essential and non-essential beliefs. And here's one of the ways that I believe as Christians that we have erred. We have majored on non-essential beliefs. And we have given people an excuse not to believe the gospel without ever actually sharing the gospel with them. And so we need to be careful that we are focused on essentials and not distracted by the non-essentials. And finally, finally, Peter says this. He says, be faithful. Be faithful. Verse 17 and 18. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. But it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's God's will. And the example for us is Jesus. Jesus. So we have, to be, we have to be aware of the fact that Jesus, who also suffered to share with us God's love, called us to follow him, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. And that may involve suffering on our part. But, but Peter says, just be faithful. Be faithful to what God has called you to do. Listen, God has not called you to be successful. He's called you to be faithful. He's called you to be faithful. Are people going to reject? Yes. Are people going to accept the word? Maybe. I don't know. But my responsibility is to be faithful with the message, to share it in a respectful, thoughtful way, and not to be ashamed of it. So, in the uh, room, in the area where the, the picture, the inscription of the crucifixion was first discovered in this dormitory, Alexaminos worships his God. Um, they discovered that, archaeologists discovered that, and it was a big, big discovery. People were so excited because it's the oldest depiction of the crucifixion ever, and there was a big to-do about it. And almost unnoticed in the same excavation, in a room not too far removed from that room where that inscription was found, there was another inscription. Uh, but it, it's, it's carved into the wall, and um, here's what it says. The translation is, Alexaminos is faithful. Alexaminos is faithful. It's in different handwriting. So people have speculated, did Alexaminos himself go back into his room as he's enduring the hateful ridicule of all the other page boys and just as a way of reminding himself 
just chisel into the wall, Alexamenos is faithful? Or could it be that there was another page boy who watched what was happening to Alexamenos and recognized through the course of Alexamenos' life, maybe even his death, and went back and as just his own confession carved into the wall, Alexamenos is faithful? Here's what I am absolutely positive of. That young page boy from the year 200, who was probably a slave, I doubt he ever wrote a book. He probably never escaped slavery. He probably didn't live very long in that day and age when Christians were being publicly executed. Had no way of knowing, no way of knowing that 1,800 years later, in a part of the world that he didn't even know existed, there would be people sitting together talking about him. Alexamenos is faithful. So here's my question. Will people say that about you? Will they say that about me? Will they be able to say, Gary was faithful. Caleb was faithful. Shar was faithful. Terry was faithful. Mary was faithful. Chuck was faithful. Will they be able to say that? My prayer is they will be able to say that about a group of people that lived in the city of Jacksonville for hundreds of years that we were faithful. We didn't deviate towards hateful, thoughtless, careless words that divide, but we also didn't gravitate towards silence. We were faithful. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? As the band is coming up and uh, those who are going to collect our offering are coming to take their places, we're not going to do an invitation today, a a public invitation, but on our communication card, there's a place for you to mark down anything that you would like to talk to us about. Maybe for some of you, you would like to talk about the message of the gospel in your own response to it. Maybe for some of you, it's just a, a, a realization that you need to be faithful in what God has called us, the gift he's given us in the gospel to share it. My challenge for all of you is for the next seven weeks to commit to being here, to commit to preparing yourself for that moment when you have the opportunity to share the reason for the hope that you have, that we'll memorize these 30 words, not as a gimmick, but to help educate our own hearts about the meaning of the gospel and to be prepared to communicate it to others. Maybe you'll read a book that we're recommending. Maybe you'll be a part of a small group. Maybe you'll join us on Wednesday night. But here's what I know. You must you must, you must do something. You must do something with the challenge that has been placed before us. My prayer is that you will accept it and you will be faithful. Father, as we come to this time in our service, we recognize and know that the message you've given us is not an easy one to share. It's not an easy one to believe. And yet, Father, we believe 
We believe because of what we've been told and the witness that has been handed down from generation to generation, but we also believe because of the experience of the gospel in our own lives as we placed our faith and trust in him. And Lord, we want to be thoughtful and respectful. We want to be wise in the way we act towards people who don't share our faith and belief. We don't We don't want to try to communicate love, your love, by being hateful to them. But Lord, we also know that we are are given to being pushed into silence for fear. God, I would ask that over the next few weeks, you would help us all to just find the faith to step out of the shadows, bring people into our lives that we can share this message with in a loving, thoughtful way. And Father, help us to understand it better. Help us to live it out better in our homes and in our communities and in the world today. Father, as we receive this offering today, we place our prayer requests, our our commitments. Lord, we place our finances in the plate. I'm reminded what Peter said, that, that we are called to do this because you first did it for us. So even as we share the message of the gospel, we share it with others because you first came and shared it with us. Lord, we give because you first gave to us. So we ask you to take this offering. We ask you to take the commitment of our lives throughout this week and use it for your glory and your honor so that people will come to know the good news of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.